Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the five moments of need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. So welcome back to another episode of the Performance Matters podcast series. Bob Moser here. I'm one of your co-hosts. And today I am honored to be joined by another one of our co-hosts, Con Gopperson. Nice to always be with you, Bob. Well, we're looking forward to the dialogue and we could not be more honored than to be joined by uh, one of our heroes in the business, a dear friend for a long time and a man who's done just remarkable work. John Townsend, who is the Vice President, Head of Business Transformation uh, for Future Plan by Census. John, welcome. Thanks, Bob and Con. It's always an honor to spend time with you, and, and thanks so much for all you've contributed to my capabilities, my success. Just an honor to be part of this program and, and chat with you today, so thank you. My gosh, those are kind words, but it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's the Mutual Admiration Society, I think, today. <laughs> Which is- well, the thing that's been wonderful about our association with you, John, is you came to us from a very different viewpoint because we started working with you as a representative of your business, not uh, necessarily uh, coming out of a learning group, you know, talking to us, but from the business perspective talking to us. And that has been just a wonderful experience to have your view from a business perspective as we've worked on some significant projects yeah. with you. Yeah. And and so this is a perspective LD needs. We're, that's one reason why we invited you and are so excited about this, this conversation. So so to get us into it, friend, we, we never do bios. We don't read from those things. So tell us as we warm up to the conversation about your journey and getting here and, and, and why you have such this wonderful passion for this thing called business transformation. Yeah, no, thank you, Bob. So, I mean, as I think back to my earliest career, I wanted to be a teacher from the earliest part of my career. When I went to college, uh, I worked as a tutor, et cetera. And then as I got into business, I found I was training. I had a, a gift for communicating and training and, and helping people align with process and procedure. So I did a lot of that early in my career. And as I grew in my leadership roles throughout several organizations, all in financial services, I even had a stint where I led a training L&D department. And so training and performance are near and dear to my heart. And I see them to them as inextricably connected, right? They're, they're going to stay always connected. You can't have training without performance. You can't have performance without training. But the magic is, and what I've really appreciated about working with you and Con and, and the team at Apply Synergies is, well, that's great in concept. How do you turn that into, how do you apply that, right? How do you get the application of that? Because from a business perspective, that's all that matters. And so I, I would say real quickly, I, I started running large-scale operations and contact centers. And so you had a lot of turnover. And I, I kept thinking about what can I do? as eight weeks in a training room is costly. It doesn't guarantee that the person who sits, comes out the other side is ready to perform. And so we spent a lot of time in my firmware organizations trying to build that gap, fill that gap by building layers of content, right? And what do we, what do we learn from that is by building layers of content, we business see, tends to see everything as a training problem. Mm. And what I can say is more often than not, 
performance, training is one component of performance. There's support, there's management, there's all sorts of things that go into that. There's also experience complexity. The more you perform a task over time, the, the ambiguity of the task goes down and the confidence goes up. So all of those things in my background, but here at Ascensus Future Plan, we've had a wonderful opportunity to grow through a lot of acquisitions. And so we've got a lot of different cultures and teams and mindsets all coming together at once. And in my new role as head of uh, business transformation, I get to take a step back and look at the confluence and how people, process, and technology all come together. And of course, underneath of that is learning and performance support. So it all comes together for me and it needs to be all part of that solution set to get the value and the results that you want. So John, transformation, that's a word that we hear a lot of and head of business transformation. Just as we talk about that, what does the word transformation and the area of business transformation mean to you from the perspective of of an organization? Simple word is it's mindset. Mm. right? We do change really well in business. In fact, we we do it sometimes too well and to our detriment. We do change, 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 but change doesn't mean transformation. That is something that happens from within. It's a mindset shift. And in the field of learning and development, that's a big part of that too, right? Is introducing a new concept, a new strategy, a new way of doing work. That's important. But what we found is we've spent a lot of time developing great technology, writing rigorous business processing, doing a lot of training, and that, that alone doesn't make people transform. And so in my mind, from a business perspective, is not only having great training, not only having great performance support process and systems, but you really need to focus on the human aspect. Because at the end of the day, the one constant in any change is the person, is the human, the actor. Right. And so having a focus from a business on helping people transform and feel comfortable and lack of ambiguity and what they're doing and understanding the whys and how it connects to the bigger picture, especially as change is happening more fast and more dramatically, is really, really important. So transformation to me, Con, is mindset. And you don't transform your business until you've hit that last button. It's the hardest and most elusive to get to. And yet, and again, So when things don't work and why most change initiatives fail and research shows us that is because you can do everything right. But if you don't transform the human actor in that sequence, you're never going to get the throughput that you deserve. And it takes a lot of work from an organizational perspective to make that happen. A good friend of ours, Tim Clark, told me once, he said, you know, leaders aren't hired to maintain the status quo, right? (laughs) Leaders are, are hired and put in place to make things better. Yeah. And at the heart of that is a human being that we've got to learn how to help lift and find internally the motivation to change. Yeah. And, and, and John, you've always been a remarkable champion of the five moments. And, 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 I, and I, for me, it resonates so well around your idea of the complete learner addressing the five moments. How has the five moments fit into this shift in your role and your and, and what you just described for us as far as these transformations are concerned? So first of all, I'm making sure that as we move forward, we are leveraging the knowledge and the capabilities that the five moments of need kind of construct provides to us. So it's it's changed how I looked at things. And again, I was part of the, the problem too. As a business owner, I just kept thinking everything was a training problem. Mm. And it's not, you talk about Bob, train, transfer, sustain and, mm. and grow that's really what business needs. And so the trainer 
or the design, the instructional designer can do a wonderful job of doing everything right. And then there's still frustration because the business isn't getting performance and there's that critical moment of apply, right? So learning new, learning more, we got that down really well. Uh, what do I do when things change? What happens when I get stuck, right? But really where it comes together from a business person's perspective, whether it's, and I, I've run against service and operations, is at the moment of apply when you're standing there and things are changing so rapidly in business now, in every business line. I don't care who you are. The old model of training and kind of marinating and then mm -hmm. moving into production and then coming back for training. Like, I hope people realize that, that that doesn't really exist anymore. You have to learn by doing, and we need support for that. And having a five moments of need approach realizes that that learner now turns into performer the second they're done with their learning exercise. And now they need to transfer that. And that's a scary, all change, no matter how large or small for anybody is a stress factor, mm. right? And reducing that ambiguity and unfamiliarity as quickly as you can and supporting people to get to that point of optimization is really what I found in business is how you get your results. And if you don't understand that and you miss that critical part, you only do a training and then you measure the output, but you don't stop and think about the, the throughput. How do I get my people and support them so that new knowledge, new ways of doing things are no longer ambiguous or hard or uncertain. And there needs to be an, a very deliberate approach to solving for that. And five moments of need has helped us see it that way, frame our perspective that way, and then take action as a business to do it that way. So John, if, if you were to give counsel to learning leaders and learning professionals today on how they could best become critical to the business, seen as strategic partners in the business. What kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, it's great. And we're, we're seeing a lot of this too in our process flow design that I'm working through with people, process, and technology. And I'll use um, a golf analogy just for a little bit. I won't go too deep on this, but you got to walk the course backwards, right? Mm -hmm. You got to start from the green where the pin is and where, where that is and where you want. And then you walk, you see things differently as you walk backwards. And so by that, I mean, the business is always focused on the outcome, but the journey to get there, they sometimes think is just, well, training is the tee box. That's where we're going to start. And then mm. something magically is going to happen in the middle. And then we're going to get on the green. The whole ball is going to be in the hole, but you, <laughs> you can't see that until you walk the course backwards. So what I would tell our learning and development partners is what I've learned the hard way. Learning needs to be there. L&D needs to be there as business is coming up with strategy, ideas. KPIs, understand what the KPIs are. What are you trying to achieve? Why are you trying to achieve that? How does that align with your strategic mission and your goals? We spend a lot of time focusing on that alignment, but if the learning partner doesn't have that perspective, their tee shot's gonna be errant. It's gonna be off course. So you start there and then you bring them back and it really becomes a questioning. So by changing your business process or by introducing a new concept, or by upskilling your workforce faster. Why do you believe, like, how do you believe that is gonna tie directly to that? And it may sometimes feel like a very obvious answer, but by asking that you start walking backwards and then you realize, then you say, so what you need from a training perspective is to create the foundation. How do we then create the learning support, your, co your managers, your coaches, right? Your knowledge resources and artifacts too because we can get you out the tee box, but if we're not helping you get all the way through to the end, 
and learn, learning and development professionals often don't quite have that assertive perspective and you need to, because otherwise we will not see it. So you have to almost be the guides that help us kind of walk that course backwards. And I think if you can master that skill set as an L&D professional, you're going to feel better about the work that you do. And I think you're going to provide much better results for your business partners. You know, it's such a brilliant metaphor, right? I mean, so many L&D professionals see themselves as handcuffed around their reach and their impact. It's that T-box idea that, you know, we, once they leave my domain, my classroom, my LMS, they're out of my control. And, and we're out, we also get whacked about business acumen that we don't speak the talk. We don't know the business and, and that walking back from the, from what gets a CFO up every day and a CEO up every day, the business outcome, not just the corporate goals that are stated every year. I and mean, there's 18 holes in a golf course. Right. If you want, if you want to run this metaphor out, right? So, so you don't just go. Well, we're playing Pinehurst tomorrow. You go, no, no, no. We're playing Pinehurst five, and I want to go. And 18's like this, and 17's like that, and there's a hazard on 16 like this, and that gives you an insight to the to going back to the tee box and starting like you've never had before. Yeah, yeah, and and learning development isn't just producing content, right? It, it can't be there. It's out. You're you because we're learning professionals. We understand how the human brain takes in information and applies that, that practice also applies to your business. Mm. Uh, you teaching leaders, right? Uh, how to think differently and act differently. And I know that may seem like a daunting task, but in, I think if you find you have those conversations and dialogue, the best, we've got a phenomenal learning support partner now, and she already naturally gravitates to this, this process. And so before, we're like, Chris, we need training design. Like, all right, well, before I even have a conversation with you, she knows we don't we know better than you would go in and do that. What are you trying to achieve? What does success yeah. look like? If if at the end of this and you execute, is it six months out from now? Is it three weeks from now? Is it tomorrow? So she already naturally, thankfully, has that approach, but she's learned to and our organization thankfully supports that. So my goal is, or what I would share is have that conversation, your lead learning, chief learning officer, whomever. Make sure that you're setting those expectations with your business partners. Mm. And so in order for us to serve you better, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to start with the end in mind. And we're going to then ask you a lot of questions because when we do, we're going to find those traps and those hazards that we want to avoid. And we'll help you design a better learning program. But more importantly, we're going to help you use learning as the launch pad, as a T-box, if you will, to achieve the goals and the results that you want to get to. And I don't think that happens if you just sit in your silos and you do yeah. your work. So. Brilliant. Let's peel this onion. I love where you're going. You are such a brilliant practitioner. You're one of the more pragmatic leaders I've known and we've had the fortune, good fortune to work with. Share your best practices around this transformation journey you've been on or what this means to businesses now. And, and as important, what are some roadblocks to anticipate? What have your lesson learns been that people might want to be on the lookout for? Wow. Yeah. And so it's through a lot of failure, right? That we learn, but failure is the greatest teacher oftentimes, right? But what I could share from my experience then is two things that I've really am focused on right now. One is you've got to be a really good storyteller. And there's a great book that I'll reference by Chip and Dan Heath. It's called I, uh, Made to Stick. And mm -hmm. it's how do you make sticky ideas? I've leveraged that content now for several years. I think the book's been out for about a decade. But it talks about, and again, when we're bombarded today, Everyone at all levels is bombarded with inputs and stimulus from 9,000 directions. There's noise. There's noise in our personal lives. There's noise in our corporate lives. There's a lot of noise. And 
you have to confront that. You have to acknowledge that and you need to confront it. So doing more of the same and communicating the way that you've always communicated is only going to be noise. And mm. so I've tried to take a lot of the practices that I've heard that I learned from that, which is specifically how do you frame ideas? How do you approach stakeholders and give them elevator pitch, kind of bullet points, things that have become sticky ideas? Then as they're being bombarded with lots of different things, it always gives a very simple way to come back and ground to, oh, John, what, what were we talking about transforming the annual administration process? You said that there were three steps, right? There's input, output, throughput, and I'm making this up, but it gives them something to trigger and stick to because without that, these executives are, you know, my COO has a lot of responsibilities. There's lots of information passing across his desk. So I found that one of my chief obligations to move and transform business is to help create sticky ideas. And that takes a lot of thought and practice. So that's one. Two is I draw a lot of pictures. I've gotten really, really good at PowerPoint. <laughs> my thought, and it's, I used to do, I, I'll write a document first because that's my background. I, I write things out. But then I have to translate that thought into pictures. And you have to show people because people are coming at your ideas, your concept, your change initiative with a lot of different stakeholder needs. Some want data. So I've got to have a spreadsheet version ready to go for that person. Some mm. want to see the big picture, right? So I've got to have the visual for that. And then some, very few, are the introverts like, like me that want to kind of deeply read and consider and think through a, a document. So you have to consider your audience. And so... I would say one is ideas made to stick and how do you frame ideas? But then secondly is understanding your medium for conveying those ideas and really understanding who your stakeholders are. And I, I asked them, it seems to me, Bob, you prefer to receive things. You're a visual learner. So would you prefer if I present things to you in this fashion? And I think the more I've done that, the greater success I've had of breaking down barriers and Mm. I'm doing it right now. Literally before we stopped to have this conversation, I was in the middle of translating an Excel document with rows of data into a Word document, into a PowerPoint. And it takes time, but mm. I think if you do that on the front end, it will save you so much swirl and so much churn on the back end. I think it's a, a great investment of time. So those would be my two points. Well, John, I, I remember when you flew out to Sundance uh, in Utah and you and I rolled up our sleeves to figure out how to how to communicate to the leadership of your company in a way that would help them envision a new way of doing things and actually fund that new way. Mm -hmm. And this is the great challenge, right? You're talking about stakeholders and communicating to stakeholders. The leadership of an organization are the ones that control the priorities, right? That set the priorities and the funding of those. And so in addition to that guidance that you just gave us, what, what is it that key leaders and organizations are looking for that trips their acceptance and gains their approval? Because you've walked that journey. Now, your transformation, your ability to move and transform an organization is really tied to getting the approval and the support of leaders. Yeah. So some advice there. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Con. And again, wouldn't have gotten there, I think, without the collaboration with you and Bob over the years to help understand the impact of performance support, envisioning new ways of working and getting there. So thank you for that. But so what I see is today's CEO, CFO, COO, what have you, C-suite executives, she or he are bombarded with pressures, I think, that are 10x what they were even a decade ago, and mm -hmm. certainly more than they were 20 years ago. 
And so understanding their whys is what I would say is the most important thing. How are they going to go defend a decision to spend X number of dollars here versus there? And what is the risk? This is what they're thinking all the time is I, I have choices. I have a limited budget and I've got to produce certain outcomes from that. So where is the next best spend of my dollar? So we know that they're doing that. And that's probably not changed too much, except I think the tolerances for failure are, are much tighter than they ever used to be in corporate America and probably around the world as well. But then secondly, it's how do I defend the decision? Because you don't know that an investment in A or B is going to produce the value. You don't know until you can look back on it and say, all right, great. So then how do I defend this decision? And why would I trust this guy, John, who's telling me he's got the greatest thing since sliced bread? So I understand that challenge. I don't, I don't take that personally. Like, why don't they believe me approach? I see that as an opportunity then to say, all right, I understand what the executive's needs are. And I know that she's going to need to know this and be able to defend her decision. So I need to help give her the inputs that she needs to defend that decision. So for me, in terms of learning support, is how many people, like, and just high level, how many people do we have in our organization? Today, my organization's overall is over 5,000 people. We sit in two different countries. We are an assimilation of lots of different cultures that have come together in a re relatively rapid pace to drive towards a single point of view. That's a lot of change in the system, right? That's a lot of reconnecting. That's a lot of transformation. What is the cost of them not being, of being stuck as performers? Right. And then how do we help them if we just have a 10% improvement over that? If you look at your salary run rate, right, that's X amount of dollars. If we can drive this 10% and doesn't it therefore seem logical that if we can help them perform better, reduce their training time, their offline non-productive time, get them into the work stream and being productive and confident that has less burnout, less attrition rates, better client satisfaction because they're, they're comfortable with it. I think those are some of the things that I've tried to build into my narratives and storyline to help them say, okay, you've got a reasonable objective cost model. I don't try to overcook the books like, hey, if you give me this, I'm going to produce this in return. But then there's also a really solid argument for why this is a thoughtful and objective decisioning process that lets them get comfortable with the decision. So it's, at the end of the day, I'll just I'll close on this. When you, as a learning professional or a business, when you're bringing an idea, it's often, I think, seen as, well, that's John's idea. Then it becomes, how much do I trust John or how much do I know John or something like that? And it's really not what it's about. It's about the conveyance of the idea, whether it's me sending that idea or Bob or Khan sending that idea or anybody. What is the story? Let's strip away the relationship side and let's look at the factual arguments. And if you can make a strong business case, for how it's going to help you drive your objectives. And then you can also demonstrate that your approach for getting to that decision or getting to that perspective was thoughtful, objective, complete. Then I think you go a long way into gaining that executive support and getting the resources that you need to transform your business. You know, every time we re-engage re with you, my friend, we're reminded why you're so successful and a wonderful leader. <laughs> you, uh, you, you have the humility, I think L&D professionals need to have to, to do what we do well, yet you are a student of the trade and uh, you back up your work with really just remarkable sound advice. Let, let's put a bow around this with that then, if you don't mind. Three things an L&D team or leaders need to start thinking or understanding 
if they want to be a, a part of this buzzword Khan asked earlier of this transformation, digital transformation, that we attach transformation to like everything nowadays. Yeah. And as you've said so eloquently in this podcast, L&D should be at the center of that and so often is not. What, what three things, what advice would you give to send folks off to better align with that? Yeah. So first, thank you for your very kind remarks. It's always a pleasure. And um, I've gained so much from work with Apply. So thank you for that. So three things, kind of tough, but I, I think one is the business is not going to understand at in general how to partner with L&D, the L&D community, and especially with where it's going and Apply being on the cutting edge and the leading edge of taking the traditional models and, and realizing that those are outdated and coming up with new ways of working. You have to be your own best advocate is number one. And you have to get comfortable with that and sit down and have conversation in person if that still exists anymore, uh, where we can do that, grab lunch, talk about it. So that's one, because you need to engage and get in the room, first of all. So that's one. Two is you need to start asking questions like we talked about before with our golf course metaphor. You've got to start at the end with the end in mind and get really good about asking questions around what are your objectives first before we start doing anything? What are you trying to get? How, what does this look like when it's done? And then, okay, let me then take you back to how does that look after they've come out of training? We can train them on what you want, but after it comes out of training, what's that look like? How are you going to monitor that and measure that? And what kind of feedback do you put into the system? So getting good at being almost a consultant mm. as opposed to just a content developer would be number two. You need to be doing that. And then lastly, it's number three is, we haven't really touched on this, but I think in this distributed environment where so many of us are not co-located and learning is occurring in multimedium and across streams, make sure that there is a process for what we talked about, that transformation process, a check-in process. So, hey, we've presented the content, we've walked you through it, you've done you know, side-by-sides, you've done whatever it is to get you to your level of proficiency. Make sure you stop and ask, how does that feel? And I think that is the domain. It should be absolutely the domain of the business. But I think learners and learning development professionals would do a lot to say, tell me more about, not did you like the training? What you affect it? Was it effective? I think the questions need to be more on the emotional intelligence side about how do you Mm. feel about your experience and your Mm. confidence, right? And getting people to articulate that. I think if they did those three things, I think you'd find the L&D community will find much better success. It's, you'll find some resistance along the way to get there, but have faith, be persistent, and great organizations will then come to embrace and see the value and the benefits of having L&D and performance embedded in, in its work stream all the way through from beginning to end. You just don't start and it's, it doesn't stop at the beginning. It really carries all the way through the performance at the end. I think if you do those three things, you'll be in good shape. Courageous learners. That's what we need to create uh, in these days, isn't it, my friend? Well, always, always, we can't thank you enough for your your authenticity, your your willingness to take time out of a very busy schedule to share your remarkable experiences over the years. It's been a blessing to work with you along this way, and we look forward to to where that goes. But for our listeners, who I know will replay this one over and over, uh, we can't thank you enough. It's been my pleasure and uh, mutual respect and admiration for both of you and for the great work that Apply Synergies does. And thanks again. And I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thanks, John. Been my pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH. 
as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.